How is everyone? Good? Good. Okay. We are in Ephesians. We're in Ephesians chapter 4. We're, we're continuing our series called Vision through this book. And again, the reason this is called Vision is because what Paul is trying to do is help us to see really the transforming power that is in Christ that has taken place as we belong to Jesus. Keep in mind, even as we start going through uh, this passage today, we're going to be going from verses 25 to the end of the chapter. Keep in mind that Paul is talking to those who are now followers of Jesus. He's not talking about people who are outside of the faith. He is, he's talking to, to those who are Christian. And that might be surprising in some of the things when he says, you who are stealing, steal no more. Right? What? That's right. You mean that's happening in the church? Yes, it was. And we'll talk about that a little bit. But more than that, Paul is trying to get those who are now followers of Christ to understand their identity, who they are now in Jesus. And a little bit of... Recap from last week, we, we saw that as Paul was talking about the this old self that we had to put off and this new self that we had to put on, he really helped us to understand that it wasn't a behavioral problem. It wasn't just that those people or we used to just do the wrong things and now we have to do the right things. He actually starts off by saying it was in the futility of their minds in verse 17. It was in an improper way of thinking. The idea of the Gentiles and the futility of their minds is an unaware life from God. A life that is detached from the reality of God. A life that is all about self and about indulging themselves in these things. And and that's a futility of mine. And then he goes on and he says, what we need to do is learn Christ. Not just learn about Christ. We actually need to learn Christ because Christianity isn't about what we do. It's about who we are. It's not about just stopping a behavior and starting another behavior. It's about changing the attitude that we had, who we identified ourselves with, and now recognizing that we identify ourselves again with Christ and that he has given us a new life and that we are made new because of what he has done. And it was futile to think the way we used to, but when we learn Christ, who he is, then it develops in us an understanding of how we are supposed to live. And so he's beginning here where he left off the last week, why our our spiritual transformation, it's not just instantaneous. You don't just say, Jesus, I want you into my life, and then bam, you got a new set of clothes. Everything is smooth, right? It's We come to this awareness of Christ, and then the Spirit of God starts making us aware. As we start learning Christ, we start becoming aware of who he is because he is now our identity. He is our model. As he is, so are we in this world. We are members of his body. It means we are joined with him. 
And so we are in this awareness now that I have this new life. I need to put off the things that I was doing, put on this new way of life. And we are tugged by the gravity of these two potential selves, this old life and this new life. I I like to think of it as the false self and the true self. The false self is who we were, living in the futility of our mind. The, the truth self is who we are now that we have come to Christ. It is where we belong. It is where we make our home. It is who we belong to. I am not my own. I have been bought with a price. This is who we are. And so what Paul is wanting to do is get us to see who we really are to understand what it means to be in Christ. And what we're going to be looking at today is how do we do this kind of piece by piece. He's giving us some small things that we can look to. And so let's read from verses 25 through the end, verse 32. He says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we, all, we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, do, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. And so Paul is telling us this is supposed to be what we look like. This new self, the, the true self. This is what the true self looks like. And it's very similar to what we're going to see in chapter 6 when he tells us that we are to put on the whole armor of God. And we start seeing that really these things are, are character issues. That we have to put on this belt of truth. We have to live a life that is right. We have to walk in peace. These are all things that we are supposed to carry on. They're supposed to be our identity as these people who have put off this futility way of living and have put on the new life that comes in Jesus. And as we start moving this, we recognize that what Christ has called us to is... Not just a different life, but a new life. He's not asking you just to make some changes. He is asking you to become a different human being. And so Jesus would say, if anyone comes after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he will save it. And so we are supposed to get rid of this, but 
gain this. Stop being this and become this. Stop living the false life. Start living the true life. And you see, Christian spirituality begins at the cross and it's made possible because of the cross. It's not because you got yourself cleaned up. It's because of what Jesus has done that enables this new life to come. The soul that we lose at the cross is the false self. And the soul that we gain is the true self. We lose the false self day by day by how? By taking up our cross daily. We, we start becoming who God has created us to be when we start daily putting off this old way and start putting on this new way. Habits are hard to break, aren't they? Especially if you've had habits for a long time. This yesterday, I think it was, I trained a dog that was 10 years old. I didn't know the dog was 10 years old. It looked like a puppy. It looked younger. You know, so I treated it like it was a younger dog. And then I found out it was 10 years old. I go, wow, it did pretty good for a 10 year old. And the problem with an older dog and training them, it's not that they can't learn new tricks. I don't teach a dog tricks, but the way they learn new behavior is they understand there's a new rule in the house. You see, this dog had had its way jumping, barking on people, you know, just kind of taking over the household. And so then I come in, I say, no, that's not allowed anymore. And I start correcting the dog. And then the dog's like, what? What are you doing here? What's going on? How, how is this taking place? There's a new sheriff in town. This is the way things are now. Okay, you got to understand. And then the dog says, well, I guess this other way that I've been living has to change because there's this new way that things are being done here. And it's hard sometimes for that old dog because their mind is just used to automatically going. They hear the doorbell and their mind says, freak out, bark and go crazy. And now we're training them to hear the doorbell and you could see the dog. It's kind of fun. You see the dog go, wait, I can't anymore. Because there is that tendency to do what I've always done. But then there's the awareness that no, that's not acceptable anymore and and our lives are like that where we start acting or thinking a certain way and then there's the awareness that the spirit of god brings in us and says no that's not who you are anymore and we have to slowly start understanding that this is what i'm putting off and this is what i'm putting on and we have to do it daily and that's how we start developing a new mentality that's why paul would say i urge you brothers And sisters, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies living sacrifices, completely holy and acceptable to the Lord. It is your reasonable service. It is your reasonable form of worship. It is what is to come from your life to God. And that you don't become conformed to this world, but you're transformed by the renewing of your mind. You start understanding who you really are. And so again, it's not just a behavioral issue. It's dealing with the illusion of who you were and accepting the reality of who you are. That Christ has made us. And that's what this whole section is about. 
you know, he talked at the very beginning of the chapter is this, that you would walk worthy of the calling. It's this motion, it's this living, and we cannot perfect ourselves, but what we can do is break some of those bad habits. We can make some of the changes. We can kind of wash the windows of our hearts and rinse our eyes, these things. I mean, that's kind of what Jesus talks about in the Beatitudes. And so we are supposed to take on this new life. And as we make our way through this, keep in mind, again, that Paul is talking to people who are followers of Christ. He's talking to people who are struggling. And maybe that'll make you feel better because you struggle too. And some of these things maybe are still parts of the struggle that you're dealing with. And so as he starts off, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. There's a speech issue between this false self and the true self. The falsehood, the pseudo, has been underlining just the theme in this section, right? The false way of living, the old self. And what we're trying to do is show that there is a new way not only to think, but a new way to act, and it has to do with being truthful. It has to do with how you act. You know, it's important that we understand that if we are going to have any kind of depth in relationship with people, you have to be truthful to them. If someone comes up to me and they say, hey, I need some help, I'm struggling, the only way I can help them is if they tell me the truth. And so when you're talking to people, especially counseling between two people, you really have to hear both people. Because, you know, he says, well, she does this, and she says, well, he does that. Who's telling the truth? I have to find out the truth if I'm going to be able to have any help to these situations. And so this truthfulness and not living in this falsehood is really about the relationship. It's about having an interaction with one another that can develop into something that's genuine. Because if we go around pretending, if we go around acting as if we are someone we're not, then people will never get to know who we really are and the church never becomes what it really is meant to be, a community. What happens is we start to becoming these people who give these false impressions. And then when someone is struggling, man, I struggle with pornography. (gasps) Everyone's ashamed. Why? Because they don't want to admit that they're struggling. Man, I have a hard time with anger. (gasps) They think no one has a hard time with anger. Why? Because we're living falsely. No. Sometimes I have a problem. Sometimes you have a problem. If we're going to help each other, we have to live truthful lives. We can't live in denial and worry about image if we want to grow in a community. Now, the problem is is it's terrifying for someone to know us if they don't love us. See, if you have all the dirt on me and you don't love me, that could be horrendous. If I find out that you've got a problem with gambling, 
but I don't really love you. I'm not out to help you. Then I go to, you know, Joe over here and say, Joe, Corey's got a problem with gambling, man. Yeah, it's terrible, man. All his money goes to Vegas every weekend. You know why he wasn't here Sunday? Yeah, that's why. (laughs) You see, if I don't love him, then I don't mind talking about him. And now damage has been caused. And so we see that there is a reason that we have to be truthful to one another with your neighbor. And he says, therefore, we are all members of one body. We have to be truthful because we are in this together. And the idea of being truthful, it includes being transparent, being real, belonging to the true self. You see, we are all hypocrites in transition. We are all moving from the false self to the new self. We are all adjusting this illusion of who we were to the reality of who we are now in Christ. And this journey that's happening every day isn't always so clean. Sometimes it's messy. Sometimes it's causing a lot of damage to us or to those around us. But we have to be truthful, we have to be transparent, and we have to move towards the true self that we are to be the new creation in Christ. And we have to care because we are in this together. The reason I don't want to talk bad about you is because it affects who I am. You see, if you do well, I do well. If you're hurt, I'm hurt because we are part of the same body. Oh God, if we could believe this, if we would understand this, how it would affect who we are, how people would feel so comfortable and so disarmed from the the pharisaical images that we put out if we just understood that we are all in this together. And we're all moving from the false to the true. We're all putting off the old and putting on the new. And we are all on this journey together. And I care enough to want to know the truth about you so that we can grow together and you can actually take hold of that true self, of that new self. That I can be of service to you and you can be of service to me that we could help each other. See, we were already told to speak the truth in verse 15, but this time Paul provides a reason because we are in it together. We belong to each other. We must be real through and through for spiritual community to function in good health. There has to be the safety of transparency. There has to be the safety of understanding that what's wanted is restoration. And for this to take place, he moves on because there has to be self-discipline. And he tells us that in your anger, do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. So be angry is not a command or an inevitability, but that does not mean your anger is foreign to this true self. Was Jesus ever angry? Yeah. He got real ticked off. Remember in the temple, he kicked them all out, made a whip, threw the tables over. Jesus got angry. So anger is not the problem. It's moving for the place where anger now becomes something that pushes you to a place where you're in contradiction to who God is and the will of God and the character of God. You see, God was angry and that's why Jesus was angry. 
What were they doing? They were hindering people from coming to worship. My father's house shall be a house of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves. You've made it difficult for those who want to come to God to come to God. And God was angry. How do we know God was angry? Because Jesus was angry. And Jesus shows us the heart of God. So there are things that God is angry about. But but notice with Jesus and all the times that he was angry, he wasn't angry because of what they thought of him. He wasn't angry because of what they did to him. He was angry because of how their behavior affected others. It's different when we just get mad because you cut me off on the freeway. It's different when our anger is self-serving. And so we see this example of being angry. Anger is not a problem. The old self and the new self is that the new self, when anger comes, it still resists sin. Everything that would be contaminated from the character of God is sin. Everything that takes that character of God and changes it is sin. Everything that becomes something where God is now misrepresented by our behavior is sin. You see, Jesus was angry, but he didn't misrepresent God. And so that's kind of where we're supposed to be when that understanding that sometimes anger is the appropriate response to a situation. But if we think about it, we could probably look in our own lives when we were angry and say, was that really the appropriate response to the situation? Or was it just you were irritated? Why did you get angry? at your friend, your wife, your husband? Was it because it was the right response for the situation or is it because it irked you? And a lot of times we'll find that our anger really is motivated by selfishness, by what we want. And I'm sure that if we did some serious reflection, we could figure it out on our own. You know, is it more likely to lapse into sin when it's all about me? Yeah. You might, we might also ask what sort of situation, again, evoked Jesus' anger? Is it the same thing that's evoking my anger? Is it on the same basis or is it something that's different in its character? And then he tells us that we are to sin, not be, but, or to be angry but not sin. And he says, don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. And, and so these are, are two ways really to safeguard the proper anger. One is to not let it Build momentum. Don't let it accumulate interest. Don't let it simmer. When you are upset with someone, and I I know this from experience, when I'm angry at a situation and I don't deal with it, but I hold on to that anger, it starts to gain momentum. My mind starts to rehearse this anger, I start to think of ways to get back. I start to to think of a way that's spiteful or vengeful. Oh, you know what would be great is if they did this and I could do this. And I start to scheme in my mind. I know you guys don't do this, but I do. I'm like figuring out ways, you know, that I could set them up and I can trap them and I could humiliate them the way they hurt me. And pretty soon I'm in the shower and I'm just like, yes, yes, you know, and I'm like... 
Uh oh, I just confessed too much. See, we, we let that start to develop a momentum pretty soon. It starts to take us. And now the anger is controlling us and we are not in control of the anger. And so one of the steps that we can take to safeguard this proper anger is not to let it accumulate. Don't let it continue. Have an end. When the day ends, that anger should be done with. Okay, I don't need to carry this. I don't need to continue this. And the other way is not to give the devil an opportunity, a foothold. It's one thing to to choose to sin and defy God, but it's another thing to create in our inner life an access point for the devil. And that's what happens with unresolved anger is any time a trigger can take us back to that place. Because we're harboring it, there's unforgiveness, and now there's a foothold. See, it's not just like, I'm going to defy God, I'm going to be disobedient. It's now I've left my heart open for the enemy to come in and to sabotage me. And that anger becomes the foothold. And all it takes is a conversation. All it takes is an event that happens and all of a sudden we're reminded of that other event and all of a sudden it's like it's back to square one. We're thinking of the same thing over again. How many times have you been maybe in an argument and someone says something to you and you say, well, what about that time you did this? What is that saying? There was a place still in your heart that held on to that time you still did this. You see, you you left a door open. And now you went back to that. And once that came up, you went back and opened that door and said, here's where I'll start from. And you started from that foothold that you gave the enemy an opportunity. And so then he goes on and he tells us, Not only that we're supposed to not deal with each other in this way, we're supposed to be a part of the same body, that we're to put off this falsehood, not to be holding this bitterness and this anger. And and he says, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. You see, there's a theft issue between the false self and the true self. The old self. And again, kind of a surprise here is that the people who are in this Christian community need to be told to stop stealing. The majority of the population at this time, survival was a day-to-day need. I mean, it was something that they just needed day-to-day to try and survive, to get food for that day. And theft was easy. You could steal the chickens. You could go and steal some of those things. They they didn't have the same environment here. They didn't have the banks that we have. And, and with people, you're living in an agricultural society. You could go and steal the crops easily or steal that person's animals to take and, and use for your own. And, you know, your family needs to eat. And there's the chicken. I'm going to go get the chicken. It became a very justifiable thing because that's what we're, we're supposed to, you know, I just need to take care of my family and I'm going to do that. I'm just trying to provide for my family. But notice that Paul doesn't just tell them, stop doing this, but he tells them to, to change their behavior. But there's a reason behind it that's bigger than themselves. 
He says, stop stealing. Don't do that any longer. Work with your own hands. Doing something useful, right? That you may have something to share with those in need. And so once again, we see a posture that is outside of self. The true self that looks like Christ is one that doesn't just think about its own needs, but thinks about the needs of others. Isn't that what we're told in Philippians? Let each of you not have this mind in Christ who do not just think of himself. Equality with God was something to be grasped, but took on himself the form of a servant, emptied himself up. And that we would have that mind that would think not just of our own interests, but the interests of others. And so the true self that looks like Christ is someone who works with your hands so that you can provide for those who are in need. It's not just self-centered. That's the illusion of the old self. That's the illusion of the false self. The true self that looks like Christ does things because your life is meant to be a blessing to others. That's the true self. That's what we are called to. That's our new identity. And so Paul is giving us these little practical helps so that we can start living how we are supposed to live. That we would give to others. The goal is that you would not just become self-supporting, but you would be helping others. And then verse 29, he, he gives us another speech issue that needs to take place between the false and the new self. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So don't just start saying these unwholesome things. We might say these rotten things. It's not, you know, don't just keep talking bad. Everything about this new Self, what we learn, is devoted to promoting good. And Paul recommends them to do it in three ways. Okay, he says, such a word is helpful for building others up, good for edification, to build up or build up. Remember, he said that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And again, we're coming back to that place where love is the motivating factor. So it's supposed to build up. And the idea is build up in what regard to meet the present need. Right? you're, You're supposed to build these other people up according to their needs. And then he says, so that it will benefit those who listen. So now, the way we are supposed to live, the new identity in Christ... We're supposed to stop talking in this rotten way, in this unwholesome way. But now our words are supposed to help other people up in whatever areas that they have needs in. And so you see someone and you see them struggling and they're downcast and they're condemning themselves. Well, I'm supposed to go and encourage them and to build them up and to help them so that they recognize that God doesn't condemn you. You should know that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that that God loves you and I'm going to give words to help you get from this picture in back to the place where you need to be. I'm going to build you up. I'm going to bring you out of that place so it benefits you. The grace is given, 
when it's needed. And this is, again, part of our identity, changing the attitudes that we have and the things that we do and the things that we say. In verse 30, he says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. There are uniquely spiritual issues between this old and this new. And and until now, the issues that Paul has raised has been either a social or a personal issue. But this one directly affects our relationship with God himself. And Paul might be referring to everything negative in the list that he has just mentioned here. It's not maybe all that he's talking about that could include more, but What an amazing thought that God would allow himself to be affected by us. That we can grieve the spirit of God is a little bit frightening. It's a little mind-boggling to think that what I do has an effect on how God feels, for lack of a better word. That the way the Spirit would want to express this is that it it grieves me. And, you know, the only way I can understand that is when I'm grieved. And I think of, you know, things that have happened maybe with my children. They've done something that has grieved me, that has hurt me. And I think of how that feels and and why I grieve. Usually it's because they've done something. Their behavior has been in such a way that it, it, it makes them less. And that now people will see them less. It grieves my heart. And so that's really what we're dealing with here is all these things that you're doing. If you continue to steal, if you continue to speak unwholesome, if you continue in this way of illusion in this old self, it grieves God because You are less than what he wants you to be and has made you in Christ. You are holding on to something that is less, not something that is more. You are neglecting who you are. That's not how I've raised you, I might say to my kids, and God would say to us, that's not how I've raised you. That's not what I've called you to. I've called you to more, and you're holding on to less, and it's grieving me. It actually hurts. I don't fully understand what this means, but the implications are are powerful. First of all, it's showing the dynamic relationship that we're to have with a living God who cares so much about us and loves us so deeply that what we do affects him. That's incredible because that works in the negative and in the positive. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy. You see, God can take pleasure in us just as he can be grieved by us. And with all of these negative things, Paul is trying to push them to a positive. So it's not just stop doing this, stop doing this. It's stop doing this in order that you can do this. Stop doing this so that you can build up, so that you can edify. Stop stealing so that you can provide for others. Stop grieving the Holy Spirit 
because we are meant to live in a dynamic relationship with the living God that is an evidence to the world around us. And we are in relationship with God. And he tells us there is more that we have to deal with. Verse 31, he says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. These are other anger issues between who we were and who we are. Other pieces of that old self, the false self that need to be put away. Bitterness, it has to do with resentment. Allowing a complaint to simmer. And just putting it on the back burner. And it just stays there. And bitterness is like poison. It just poisons our soul. And we can't let go of it. And we hold on to it. And so many relationships, so many marriages are... This is the downfall of them is bitterness. Not being able to let go. Not being able to forgive. And it just stays there and it simmers and it simmers and it simmers. And so we need to put this aside. We need to... Get rid of this. Talks about rage, that sudden explosive outburst. This one hits me because every now and then I have these outbursts. I just like, ah! Karina and I were talking the other day and just like every now and then, you know, she'll hear me say something. Not, I'm not like cursing or anything. I, I just, you know, I'll just, oh man, I can't believe that. And it's, I'm just you know, trying to get the printer paper to take, you know, and it won't take. And I'm just, ah! She's like, what, what? You know, saying something terrible, and I just have this outburst. It's this carbon paper. It won't get taken in by the, the printer, and so it frustrates me to no end. I'm bitter about it. Sudden explosive outbursts. And then he goes on and he talks about anger. That's habitual anger. Losing one's temper as a way of life. Have you ever noticed people that their, in a sense, defense mechanism is to get angry? Whenever you say something, they just, ah, they'll get angry. It's their way of defending themselves. Hey, I really want to talk about, you know, what you did the other day. Oh, why do you always have to bring it up? Oh, and it's like, I guess we won't have that talk, right? And then mission accomplished. What? I got angry, stopped the conversation. And so it's kind of a habitual way of responding to something. Losing one's temper, it's just the way of life. Then he talks about brawling, heated shouting. It's being a rageaholic, always wanting to escalate the problem. And some people are like that. You know, there are people who go into a group of people and will start a fight. They are looking for a fight. They look at someone. You mad dog at me? What? You looking at me? What's the problem? You got a problem with me? They're just looking for that. I can, I remember talking with some people and it's like, why do you keep getting in fights? What's, what's going on? Well, man, these people are always choosing, calling me out. I go, you know, I go to some places, I never get called out. No one ever calls me out. Why do they always call you out? You're always looking for it. You're a brawler. You have this heated rage that's in you. Slander. 
insults, talking against people. I tell you, you know, in Christian circles, slander runs rampant. I've been with pastors and I'm like, man, you guys just slander everybody and you feel good about yourselves as you just put other people down. It's terrible. That shouldn't be. We'll talk down, you know, homosexuality and we'll talk down drunkenness and we'll talk down. But then what about slander? Just excuse that one? No, it's defying who we are as believers. Talks about malice, ill will, having desire to do harm. And not just like physical harm, just wanting to cause problems in someone's life. Wanting to see them fail. Wanting to see them trip and stumble. Why would you want that for anybody? Does God want them to fail? Does God want them to be injured? Does God want them or does God want them to be restored? Maybe that person did something wrong. Maybe they need to repent of a situation. But you see, God wants restoration. Do you want that or do you want vengeance? Do you want to see them get their just rewards? Well, where do we find the inspiration, the power to forgive those who had wronged us? We get it from the cross. It goes back to the cross. And that's what he says here. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. I think that the incredible lack of kindness among many Christians today is something that grieves the Holy Spirit. The true self is God's image and likeness in us and it's reflected through us. And kindness is a virtue that's not often encouraged, but it's central to what it means to be Christian. You see, kindness is the purest way to imitate God. Because God is good. God is kind. And in verse 1 of chapter 5, we're not going to go in depth here, but he says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. What was God's example? He was kind. He was loving. He gave himself. God so loved the world that while we were yet sinners, Christ gave himself for us. You see, this kindness is what leads us to repentance. This kindness is the character of God. And we have been forgiven in Christ. And as God has forgiven us, we are to forgive others. The attitude of the new self, the true self, is the attitude of Christ, that as Christ has shown forgiveness to us, we are to show and extend that forgiveness, love, compassion, desire to help others as well. 
And so the false self was self-centered, self-consuming. The new, the true self is there to benefit the lives of those around us, to help others, to be lives that are generous, to be lives that are compassionate, to be lives that are caring, to be lives that want to see others do well and to do all we can to help them to do well. That's what we are supposed to be as a community. That's what the church is supposed to be. That's what the body of Christ looks like. Paul is telling us this is who you are. Recognize it. Stop stealing. Work and help those out. Stop bad-mouthing people. Instead, build them up. Get rid of the anger, the malice, all this junk. Put it aside and instead take on the heart of Christ and let it shape who you are and let it affect everybody who's around you. Jesus said that people would see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Why? Because that's who you are. You're a father, you're the child of your father in heaven. Look like him. Look like Jesus. Be like him. God, follow God's example as dearly loved children. And the way we can do this is because we know we're loved. And so we have that confidence. He's not going to bring harm to us. He cares about us. He's not going to betray us. He loves us. We are not going to betray someone else. Why? Because we love them. Because God loves them. And this is to be our character. As Paul just moves down this list, he alternates kind of between the community and the individual. And that's kind of our daily struggle. We have to deal with who we are and then we have to deal with who we are as a community. I have to deal with who I am as an individual with my relationship with God and I have to deal with how I am with other people because we don't live in a vacuum. So Jesus would say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself because they're together. You have to deal with who you are as an individual, but we have to deal with who we are in a community. Community prevents me from thinking rules don't apply to me. I have to live here. They do apply to me. I have to conduct myself well. Why? Because it affects other people. We can often do more by correcting our own faults than trying to correct others. But so many times we see that We're just all about trying to fix other people's problems and ignoring our own. You might ask God if he wants us to work on any of these things in particular. Are are there any points that maybe stood out to you in this list? Yeah, that malice is mine. Yeah, that anger is mine. Oh, yeah, that... That's mine. I I really need to work on that. And I encourage all of us to memorize verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Let that be an anthem in your soul of how you interact with everyone around you. Because that is what's necessary for us. This new, this true self, that is our anthem. So may we walk in that way. Let's pray.
Father, many of us have lived so long in this false self that we think it's who we are. That we live in the shadow of the condemnation of of where we were and we can't even forgive ourselves. And we think that we are subject to that old self. And, And God, we are failing to recognize who we are in Christ. Lord, we are not believing the truth that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead can bring life to our mortal bodies, can give us victory over the old self. And now what we need to do, Lord, is start putting into practice these things to change the way we think, to to not live in the futility of our minds, but to learn Christ, to imitate you, to start developing new behavior. And instead of just getting rid of things, we are to get rid of things and fill them with other things. We are to get rid of the the theft and we are to become generous. We are to get rid of the slander and we are supposed to encourage. We are to get rid of these old things and enter into the, the dynamic relationship with you. We are to stop grieving you and actually start pleasing you. And Lord, may we fill the vacuum of our lives with these good things. And may we always hold on to the understanding that you love us and that you have done all that you have done on the cross so that we can live in this life. God, the cross is our new identity. The cross is our new life. We can do these things because of what you have already done for us. And so, Lord, we take hold of the truth that you have given us even tonight. And we want to start putting it into practice. And we ask, God, that you would help us to maintain this identity. May we live true to what you have called us to be. We thank you again because you've not only given us an understanding of what it is, but you have given us your Holy Spirit. You have sealed us so that we can actually become who you've called us to be. God, we are grateful. May our lives bring pleasure to you. May we be an example to those around us of who you are. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.